0: first portion is chapters 8, 1 through 11. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. And assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastplate on him and in the breastpiece, he put the urim and the thummim And he set the turban on his head, and on the turban in front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Skipping down to verses 30 through 36. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also on his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with them. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire, and you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done, to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die, for so I have been commanded." And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for a peace offering to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you and they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord and Moses said this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people to make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Moving down to verses 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them and he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering, and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I should have reported that we had a sober but joyful time as we committed Mr. Edgar Sorrel Strange's body to the ground and just commemorated his life and uh, remembered the, uh, the purpose he thought that God let him live, which was to continue to be an intercessor for his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and his great great-grandchildren, of which he had many. So it was a really, really good time together. Let's go to the Lord one more time before we open his word. Lord, thank you for the words of these precious songs that we've sung tonight, and for Wesley's selection of these. How we rejoice that before the throne of God, we have this wondrous high priest who shall not be taken away from, from us, who as surely as he made atonement for our sin intercedes for us now for that. We give you thanks. We thank you for your mercy to us that you not dealt with us as our sins deserve, that you are so gracious to us. Open our Minds and our eyes to the Word tonight. Be with us, we pray. Open the Word. Help us see Christ. Help us. Help us see even ourselves. We pray in Your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you might notice the title of my message is "Seeing Him, Seeing Us in the Priest Consecration." If you've got your Bible open there, page eighty-six in the ESV Bible, you'll see. Uh, For chapter 8, you see the title. They're not inspired, but they're helpful. The consecration of Aaron and his sons. And then chapter 9, the Lord accepts Aaron's offering. You know, sometimes until something is pictured or acted out, we simply cannot conceive it or comprehend its greatness, its majesty, or even its meaning. Words may be just like words on a page Words on a page, spoken, written. They can't fully really convey the true beauty of the most exquisite scenes or the meaning of even the most important truths. I asked someone this week, hey, what's the most beautiful national park? They said Yosemite. My illustration tonight is from the Grand Canyon, but you'll understand it. So, for example, I could give you a map of the United States or even an enlarged map we could look at of the state of Arizona. Perhaps we could set up here some pictures by Ansel Adams of the Grand Canyon National Park or even Yosemite, too, that he loved, okay? I could write this lengthy description full of all types of metaphors and colorful language. But nothing could substitute for seeing the Grand Canyon in person for yourself. Only then the full beauty, the color, the texture, the shadows, in a word, the grandeur of the Grand Canyon can be most fully experienced. And so when Moses ordained Aaron and his sons, I say we're able to see Jesus and ourselves more clearly. How he saves how we are saved, how he is our great high priest and we are, in Peter's words, a holy and royal priesthood. When you combine 1 Peter 2, verse 5 and 9, a holy holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, and a kingdom of priests, as we find in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verse 6. It's why John wrote in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, to him who loves us, And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. You see, in Leviticus eight and nine, we we have the potential for seeing him and for seeing us in the way the priests are consecrated. So I want us to see what is here in in these two chapters, 60 verses, but moreover, really the greater reality, the fulfillment that we find in Jesus and in us as his saints, to which he's pointing, to which it's pointing. So real quickly, the outline is this. I want us to look and think of these two chapters and consider the necessity of priestly mediation, and this is all under why the consecration of the priest is broadly revealed in these three areas. So we're speaking, the subject is the consecration of Aaron and the priest. That's the subject. And what I want us to see is how the consecration points to the necessity of priestly mediation, the character of priestly mediators, and the end or purpose of, of the sacrificial system. So necessity, character, and then purpose. If you're writing three big words and you want to circle, that's it, necessity, character, and in. So if Aaron and his sons, if you think about this, if they were not needed in their priestly capacity and roles, Yahweh would not have given us the instructions for their consecration that make up the whole of Exodus chapter 29. And we would not have these two chapters in Leviticus 8 and 9, the narrative of their consecration. In fact, this is a pattern of the book of Leviticus. You'll see law like ceremonial law narrative, ceremonial law narrative. We're in that narrative portion, a chunk, actually, right? So you see this is what they're to do, and then you'll see the narrative there that's embedded in it around this act of mediating or of consecrating the priest. And it's plain, in Israel's worship of Yahweh, a mediator and the mediating work of the priesthood was necessary, all right? Aaron and his sons, making up what we call the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood, were mediators. They were standing... They were standing between Israel and Yahweh, or before the Lord, and serving and speaking on, his behalf, on behalf of the people to God. That other class of mediators, the prophets, of course, right? What are they doing? They speak to men on behalf of God. So mediators, they speak and serve on behalf of men to God. Prophets speak on behalf of God to men, okay? Okay. And they come together in our narrative, because we see there in that very first verse of our sermon text, there's the prophet Moses, the prototypical prophet Moses, receiving what he is to give the people. So, the Lord speaks to him first. Look at this. And that comprises that, those first four verses. And he says, take Aaron and his sons with him, and you want to note this, so Here's the word, miss, don't miss the elements. Take Aaron and his sons and the garments, all right, there's the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. And that's what's going to play out here in the rest of chapter 8. And he says, take these, assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All right, the tent of meeting. And it says, and Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I think it's helpful if we think of it this way. The tabernacle is an architectural term, particularly, as it deals with God's worship. But the tent of meeting is this idea that this is what's going to happen. This is the place where the people are to meet God, the place of God's special presence. But then in verse 5, look at this. Now Moses speaks. God has spoken to Moses, and now here's a switch. Moses speaks to the congregation. It's very helpful if you understand that the, uh, the, the, the title of this book is Via which means, and he called. When you open the book of Leviticus, and it says, the Lord called Moses, that's chapter one, verse one. Here's the thing. This is why we say this book is so densely theological because God is speaking. This is very much about God speaking. And from this, we find out the very nature of redemption. And so Moses speaks to the people, the very heart Of the instructions he'd received earlier. You might wonder, it's like all of a sudden he just knows what to do. It's because the instructions are already received in Exodus 29 and now he gives this here in Leviticus 8 beginning in verse 5. God had determined to deal with us through the instrument of a mediator. His holiness demanded it. Anytime you see fire, like when you end this chapter 9 and you see this fire that comes out before the Lord, verse 24, and it consumes the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar, it says, and when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. When you see fire there, you ought to think God is a holy God. He's not to be trifled with. And that points to the necessity of priestly mediators. God deals with us through a mediator. His holiness demanded it just as his holiness demands holiness of the appointed mediator, all right? We could not present our own. One had to go to God on our behalf. And again, this is that great exchange that Jerry Bridges and Bob Bevington write about in their book, The Great Exchange. We give him, or he takes, our sin, all right? And we receive his righteousness, and it's very interesting, as you watch through this book, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes out for this movement from justification to sanctification to union. The righteousness of God, uh, the, the righteousness of God imputed to us. the righteousness of God formed in us, God with us. And you'll see even this very language, right? It says. Uh, in uh, the the beginning of chapter 9 there, you'll see this. The invitation will be to Aaron, verse 7, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself. Because what's in play here is God not only desires to impute his righteousness to us, that's justification, and that's why you see this role All right, this role, these offerings communicated between the burn offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering. So he imputes his righteousness to us. That's justification. He imports and plants his righteousness in us. He forms that in us, sanctification, and all for this very purpose that he wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people in Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, I want us to look Briefly at the character of the priestly mediators. Have you ever asked, What do you notice about the character required of Aaron and his sons? It's no different than what Pastor Jamie's been dealing with in Hebrews 12. There it is. Strive for what? Peace with all men and the holiness without which no one. We'll see the Lord. We've talked about this. The theme of Leviticus could be one word. This central book that then centers in chapter 16 on the day of atonement, that's part of the whole of the Pentateuch, that's the, that, whose message is that God wants to dwell with his people. And it's answering the question, how can we be right with God? Holiness is required. And so if you're new to this study, let me give this to you again. Chapters 1 through 16 is about the atonement that's required and achieved, that's pictured in all these offerings that point to our Lord Jesus, who's pictured in all of them in some way, in a composite way, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. So those first 16 chapters are on How we how atonement is made that we may be right before God, and then chapter seventeen through the end of the book is about the holiness that God requires that we continue in union and fellowship with Him. But holiness is required of these priests. Look in chapter eight for a moment. First, they are washed with water. Verse six, they're washed. This speaks to their need to be clean and that their uncleanness be dealt with. Look, they were clothed with special garments. I want you to notice this, that Aaron is clothed in verses 7 through 9, his sons in verses 30 and 31. And there's a distinction, right? Even as Aaron was the high priest, the first in that succession. Our Lord Jesus is not just our high priest, but we say our great high priest, our great high priest. And there's a difference. The Levitical or Aaronic priesthood led there with the great, with the high priest Aaron, their priesthood and their work was symbolic. Our Lord Jesus, as our great high priest, was real. Theirs was representative. Ours was actual. Theirs was imperfect. Ours was perfect. Theirs was repetitive. Ours was once, or his, the Son of God. It was once for all. So first, they're washed with water. Second, you see that they are clothed. And then they're anointed with oil. Aaron is anointed with oil in verse 10. His sons are anointed in verses 30 and 31. And in fact, when they're anointed, Aaron initially is anointed with oil only, but he and his sons later are anointed with oil and some of the blood that there was sprinkled on them. And it says in verse 30, and also on his sons and his sons' garment. And it says of Moses, so he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with them. There's a distinction. What is the difference? Have you noticed anything about the timing here? Before any of these offerings are presented, Aaron, representative of our Lord Jesus as the high priest, of Jesus our great high priest, he is anointed before any sacrifice here in this seven-day period is actually given. He is like the son of whom the oil of gladness is upon. But I want you to notice too significantly that these, the priesthood here, Aaron and his sons, they're included in each of the offerings administered not by them, but principally by Moses. Look at, let's look at them in order. And it's important that you not miss that what's taking place in chapter 8, reasonably, based on Exodus 29, is a repeated pattern over seven days. You know, seven, that number of perfection. So the goal here in the consecrating of Aaron and his sons into the priesthood It's modeled after this aim for perfection. Look at the offerings first in verses 14 through 17. It says, he brought the bull of the sin offering. And of course, we're used to these elements, right? Aaron and his sons, they laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. That's communicating. They transferred their own guilt to that of the bull of the sin offering. Verse 15, where it says, he killed it. Commentators aren't exactly clear. Is that Aaron killing this bull or is that Moses? Not sure. We're not going to try to sort that out. And then, of course, this presence of the blood. And we've said, here's a theme. Blood, you might say Leviticus is a very bloody book. There's blood all over it. And we know from Hebrews 9, Without the shedding of blood, and without the shedding of the blood of our Lord Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. You might notice then, even with that, reminds us of the bull of the of the burnt offering. What takes place there? The blood, right, is daubed by either Moses or Aaron. I'm assuming Moses for the moment, on the horns of the on the altar, the bronze altar out there, that big, big piece where they're going to burn the fat, the lobe of the liver, the two kidneys. But then just like pictured in Hebrews 13, the rest of the animal, verse 17, the bull, its skin, its flesh, and its dung, it's taken outside, it's burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, look, not only is there the bull of the sin offering, the dealing with our sin, this this starting point of we need to be made right with God, but sin is our liability. And so that's expiatory in nature. Look, though, the ram of the burnt offering there in verse 18. Again, you can find all of this back in Exodus 29. And I didn't want to belabor this, but there's the bull of the sin offering, and then there's these two rams All right, also here, this is called the ram of the burnt offering, right? And again, the hands on the head. We're not sure who kills, but here, Moses throws the blood, a bloody scene. It's the same thing, right? It's a little bit different than the bull. The ram is cut up, okay, all right? And actually, it's all burned right there. None of it is taken outside. It's all burned right there in the courtyard on the altar, but you'll notice in verse 21, that the entrails and the legs, they're washed with water. And there, what we expect with the burnt offering is what? It is a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma. Let's pause for a moment. It was last month, our memory verses. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, as we think of this aroma that's associated with this second offering, the ram of the burnt offering, Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, everywhere. Look, thirdly, not only at the bull of the sin offering, the ram of the burnt offering. There's another ram. It's called the ram of ordination. All right. And there's elaborate. I'm not totally sure that all the significance of the blood, but you'll see this bloody scene. Again, this ram is killed. But this time Moses is taking some of its blood, and he's coming up to Aaron as the high priest, and he he's daubing it on the right the, the lobe of Aaron's right here, the, the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. Look at this. And then he takes Aaron's sons, and he does the same thing with them. So Moses takes Aaron, and then he takes Aaron's sons, and he and, and what's present here is. Blood. Everybody's got blood on their earlobe, blood on their right thumb, and blood on the big toe of their right foot. And then there's Moses taking the blood of this ram, splashing up against all around the altar. And then here he is. Look, he he puts this this time. You'll notice he takes similar similarly to the bull of the sin offering. He takes the fat, the fat tail. The fat that's on the, the entrails on, on in in the long lobe of the liver, these two kidneys. But watch this. And the right thigh. And he pulls out of this basket of unleavened bread. Again, this is all stipulated in Exodus twenty-nine. And I was trying to picture if this is like an open-faced sandwich. maybe some of you can think about this, not to be disrespectful. But you have unleavened bread, right? And you have fat, and you have a piece right here, and you have a piece of the right thigh of the ram, right? And you have a loaf of bread, an unleavened loaf and a loaf of bread with oil, and one wafer, and you put all this on the pieces of the fat, and on the right thigh, watch this, okay? So you have this big open face sandwich, it's like too big, like when you've stuffed a burrito with too much and you can't close it. And all these symbolic elements of the fat, the oil, the unleavened bread, a part of the right thigh of the ram is placed in the hands of Aaron and the hands of their sons, right? And then it says, and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord, okay? And then Moses takes them and he burns them on the altar, there verse 28, with the burnt Offering. And so, as part of this ordination that would also create this pleasing aroma, just like the first ram, Aaron and his sons having this most kind of right in their hands experience the reality, the cost of atonement, the price of their mediation for the people of Israel before God, their role in representing the people before Jehovah. Now, but there's more, and you can see this at the very end of this. In verse 30 of chapter 8, I want you to see then, as there was washing, there's clothing, there's anointing oil, And all these symbolic of our need to be washed of our sin, to be clothed with the righteousness of another, to be anointed with the oil and the influence and the person of the Holy Spirit. And then even this blood that reminds us of the price of our salvation. All of these come together. Now look here in verse 31. Again, noting that Aaron's sons are anointed only after the offerings have taken place. But look what happens in 31. And again, this is in fulfillment of the word in Exodus, actually chapter 27 and verse 32, where it says, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. Boil the flesh there, right at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it, and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded. You eat it. And what remains, you shall burn up with fire. Again, representative of God's holiness. And they're to remain there. This, this was not transactional. This was not like going up to an ATM and sticking your card in and putting your pen and saying, you want $20 cash? And in 30 seconds, you're gone. We're talking seven days of repeating these same elements. Look there in the end of 33. It gives us something of the seriousness of the way of holiness. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed for it will take seven days to ordain you. As it's been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done, make it to, to make atonement for you. And they were to remain there. Look, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days. So imagine this, 24-7 for seven days, Aaron and his sons are there in front of the tent of meeting. Obeying what God had charged, he says, so, you should, so that you do not die, the end of verse 35, for so I have been commanded. So Moses is saying this to them, you need to do this in faithfulness so you won't die. And I've received that from the Lord. And look at, look at the result. It says, Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses now what's the end of the sacrificial system it's that he might draw near to us I want you if, if you have forgotten this I want you to turn with me just for a moment to Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 The original reason that the contributions were received for the sanctuary found there in verse 8, it says, and let them make me a sanctuary, here it is, that I may dwell in their midst. What is God interested in doing? God is interested in dwelling in the midst of us His people, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will dwell with them and they will be mine. That's what's going on here. That, we've seen the necessity, right? We've seen the necessity of priestly mediators. We've seen the character of priestly mediators. I want us to see, lastly, the very end or purpose of the sacrificial system. And it's this, that he might draw near to us. Look here in chapter 9. This is after seven days of the same activity. But now, here's the word. And everything you'll see corresponds, all right? So, where he says, take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, verse 2, that's fulfilled in verse 8. A ram for a burnt offering there, that's for, fulfilled in verse 12, all right? The male goat for uh, the, the people, what we call the people's offering, that, that takes place in verse 15, You see, the ox and the ram for peace offerings, you'll find that in verse 18. All right? And so this this new series, a different set and sequence of sacrifices is called for. And you read in verse 5, they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and they stood before the Lord, okay? Again, representatively, the tent of meeting is the place of God's presence. And so to stand in front of the tent of meeting is to stand before the Lord. And Moses says this. He says, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And there's real application here, isn't there? If we're going to have any sense of drawing near to the Lord and experiencing his presence, this will never be apart from daily, in a fresh way, grasping and embracing the necessity of the atonement today for my sins. We talk about God saving us from past, present, and future sins. But until we're faced with that, and it's right in our face In all its ugliness, we'll know that if we're going to draw near to him, we're going to have to be acquainted with the vicarious death of the Son of God in all its dimensions. That's what this means. Would we draw near to him? Would we dwell with him and he with us that we might see his glory? Then you, brothers and sisters, will need to take a long look at the Lord Jesus as he's pictured, as we've seen in these several weeks from Leviticus 1 through chapter 7 and even tonight. So I want you to notice. Notice here these offerings. Verses 8 through 11 is the calf of the sin offering. But what do you notice about verse 8? Does anyone notice who is this? animal offered for for himself and we'll find a parallel for that in many weeks when we come to the day of atonement in chapter 16 look in verses 12 through 14 it said he killed again now understand this is Aaron doing this now Aaron is taking the lead here Aaron now kills the burnt offering And his sons give him the blood. And again, this bloody mess, he's throwing it up against the sides of the altar. And look at this. Look how methodical this is. They handed the burnt offering to him piece by piece in the head, and he burned them on the altar. It said, and he washed the entrails and the legs, and he burned them with a burnt offering on the altar. It's wholly burned up whether it's burned outside, that is verses 8 through 11, or on the altar in 12 through 14. Finally, look, you see this people's offering with the goat of the sin offering. And we'll come, we'll be learning about a scapegoat when we come to chapter 16 and the day of atonement when the two goats are presented But look at this, it says he presented the burnt offering, he offered it according to the rule. He presented the grain offering, he took a handful of it, he burned it on the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Look at this, verse 18 and following, he killed the ox and the ram and the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people, that's the phrase that we're used to. In all of these offerings, even as Pastor Jamie and I were talking about this this week, you spend a lot of time researching and thinking about what do each of these offerings represent. For example, in the three burnt offerings, which really are the, the what we call the sweet savor offerings, the burnt, the grain, and the peace, and then the sin and the guilt. And Alex Matier makes the, matcher, however you say his name, he makes the point That sometimes in the book of Leviticus, the offerings are given to us in different sequence to give us the perspective sometimes from man's perspective, but other times from God's perspective. It's not always the same. You'll notice this. But there, the grain offering is the idea of having had peace, we're able to eat together this grain offering. The peace offering itself, we looked at this a week or two ago, that Paul writes when he's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And we read these beautiful words in Ephesians 2, verse 14. He says, for he himself is our peace, who's made us both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may, might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, there it is, right? He himself is our peace, verse 14, so making peace, the end, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far, away, far off and peace to those who are near. Peace you find there four different times in, a, in those few verses, peace. He is our Prince of Peace. He is the fulfillment of all these offerings we find, these sacrifices we find in the book of Leviticus. We see him in the consecration of the priests, but we also see us. Our Lord Jesus was a priest. As our high priest, he was a priest who needed no consecration. He was anointed above all his brothers. He came not to offer himself for himself, but to offer himself on our behalf. I mean, there's an application. I want to just end with this. I know it's been a long day for many. But I want us to turn for a moment to 1 Peter 2 to think through these implications. Are you a Christian? Then God has made you a priest in his house. He's made you part of what he's making into a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He's making you into what he calls a royal priesthood. And this all squares with Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, speaking of a kingdom of priests. Why do we have this? What is it that we're called to? In many weeks, maybe not so many weeks, Pastor Jamie will get to this in Hebrews 13, and verse in the in the middle of chapter Hebrews chapter thirteen, maybe turn to the left just for that for a moment. Aaron and his sons were but a representation, a symbolic of our Lord Jesus, the perfect. High priest. And when so, when in verse 11 we read the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a fat sacrifice for sin, they are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Who would have known that? Do you think the priests fully understood that when they were taking these torn and bloodied and carved up remains of these animals outside the camp and they were burning them up on the previous ashes of those burnt animals, do you think that they ever really contemplated the far greater reality that is our great high priest our Lord Jesus. They may not have, but the writer of the book of Hebrews says that's what they point to. And so here's the implication. Here it is in verse 15 of Hebrews 13. And this is where we end. Through him then, and I would add because we are a holy priesthood, we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests to our God forever, Revelation 1.6. Tonight, by grace, not in our own strength, let us continually, through him, through Jesus, the one to whom we've gone outside the camp, the one to whom or with whom we've been called to bear his reproach, that he endured, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that, is, that acknowledge his name. Brothers and sisters, this is what God is calling us to. This is how we see him. This is how we see us in the consecration of the priests. Amen. When that blood was taken and put on the ear and the thumb of the hand, the toe of the foot, it was a reminder to Aaron and his sons that all of them, every part of them, was set aside, set apart for the service of the Lord. Since Christ has made us priests unto God, we too are set apart to him. Let's stand and sing.
2: and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise.